good. We are sitting here in Prince George on a podcast called mm. Crazy Damn Canadians. <laughs> and you, my friend, are a legend. Yeah. An absolute legend, not just in Prince George, but in this country. And mm. I, I honestly couldn't sleep last night. I was so <laughs> excited to have you on as a guest. And my mind was just racing with all the the subject matter and and the discussions that we could explore but why don't we just start off with introducing who you are what you're passionate about and what you've accomplished over the last few decades of calling northern bc home okay well i was uh born in vancouver uh, 1950 uh, came up to prince george uh, in the early 1970s i've been here ever since and uh, my story begins uh, going camping with my parents when I was about, oh, about six years old. We went to Caldas Lake. Back in those days, Caldas Lake was a lot different than what it is today. Uh, there were gravel roads, uh, you could camp just about anywhere, and it was free, stay as long as you wanted. And where my parents camped, um, I started wandering around on the roads nearby our campsite. And I was attracted to some of these very unusual plants, like the giant hollyhock was one. And uh, later I discovered vine maple, coast Douglas fern, all the other stuff that grows in the area. And at the same time, my dad, uh, he had his, uh, he loved his car radio. He loved just the sound it had and all that. He had his radio on much of the time, not blowing, but just loud enough to hear in our immediate campsite with both doors open, tuned into Seafund Vancouver. And I was able to, I started listening to the music as a little six-year-old. I discovered I could carry a song in the back of my head if I heard it a day later or a week later. And if I heard it a year later, I remember where and when I heard it for the same time. So Cultus Lake uh, launched my two hobbies and uh, taking people around uh, uh, the campsite when I was, we went to Cultus Lake every year throughout the 50s, well into the early 60s. And and uh, I, um, I got to be known a little bit there and I would uh, go to some of the campsites and I'd say, would you like a tour of, uh, of some of the plants in the area? And um, some people said yes and we had a set time. My parents tagged along and the park ranger, he tagged along also. And uh, I remember when I was little, um, I would ask the park ranger when he was making his rounds, what kind of plant it is, and he always took a moment or two to stop and tell me what they were. And in the, towards uh, in later years, the shoe was on the other foot. Uh, um, I would he would come to me and ask, "What is this here?" And I would tell him. So I was about nine or ten at the time. Absolutely outstanding, and you are an anomaly uh, I, in terms of from such a young age finding out what your passion mm -hmm. in life or i should say passion plural because it's music and botany yeah but there are few people i would say less than one percent of human beings on planet earth mm. from a young age know exactly what it is they're meant to do on this planet for their life mm -hmm. and to find that passion and to continue pursuing it for your entire life is very rare and you found that in music and botany and, and botany and those early years were very, very difficult. Um, I remember telling people, my, my, my parents, my mom and dad, and um, um, my teachers and that, what I wanted to do. So I, mean, I was just about, oh, about six, seven, eight years old. And um, um, nobody believed me, nobody thought I was serious. I was labeled a dreamer. and. Uh, I was told it's impossible, it's ridiculous. I mean, who would want to travel the country and um, collect all the native plants from every province and territory in Canada? And at the same time, <laughs> I had a little battery-operated record player, and I uh, that was uncommon back then, uh, that would play records in the back seat of a car. Um, every town and city I went through, I'd stop and buy a record as a mentor. My visit to that town or city, I put the date on it. Um, back in those days, uh, record stores were everywhere in Canada, whether it be a small prairie town or a large metro city. 
and I would um, make a journal of my uh, trees and plants that I found that day. I would go through this town and I sometimes would play the record in the parking lot or I'd play it for the first time wherever I camped that night. And I have such wonderful, wonderful memories uh, from being a very successful, a bit of a lonely life though. I'm speaking of in my uh, teen years into my early 20s after I got my driver's license. Did you realize at a young age that you had a gift? Did you just know that it was very uncommon for you as an individual to be able to listen to a song mm-hmm. and have the lyrics memorized and a year later be able to identify the origin of that song, the artist, the year is released, maybe the producers. And in addition yeah. to that, when it goes to the botanical side of things, to remember everything about plant species and trees mm-hmm. and flowers, everything from their Latin names to their definitions to their yeah. origins to... Where they're found and not. Exactly. Yeah. Did you realize that you had a gift or did you think that was something that all human beings possessed in terms of skill sets? I realized I had a gift and there was only one person in my young years in my single digit age range that encouraged me and that was my Sunday school teacher. And who's that? Uh, her name was Miss Sale, spelled with a Y. Miss Sales with a Y. Well, shout out to Miss Sales with a Y. <laughs> and was she located in the Lower Mainland? Yeah, uh, uh, United Church of Canada was my home-based uh, church, my parents and I. And I remember when I was a little boy, my parents, um, they made me go to Sunday school. And I did not like the idea of going to Sunday school because I went to school five days of the week. But I realize now why they insisted on it, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. And it's been a big part of, of my life. And she really encouraged me to go for my dreams and goals. And uh, um, she didn't know much about those, those two hobbies, but she said, you've got to give it your best. Well, she, that's great encouragement. And, and isn't it funny how, you know, I, I always look at the, the autobiography of Howard Schultz with Starbucks, uh, the CEO and founder, where he had so many individuals and, and other business people mm-hmm. and, and banks and investors telling him that his idea was inconceivable, where he wanted to create these cafes in North America that people would actually come, sit down at, enjoy coffee and stay. Mm-hmm. And every single person he told this idea to said, everyone takes their coffee to go. And nobody's going to pay more than 50 cents for a coffee. But he was denied 142 consecutive times from investors when he wanted to launch Starbucks. But he never gave up on that dream. He kept on persevering. And we all know where Starbucks is today. Oh, yes. yes. But it just it's exemplifies that you have to believe in yourself no matter what kind of external noise might come your way, especially when it's the naysayers that say it's not possible. Use mm-hmm. that as motivation and encouragement instead of a detractor. Well... Um, some of my secrets of success, I've written my autobiography, it's my life story. Um, I've called it the impossible dream because um, I heard that word <laughs> impossible more than any other, any other term given and uh, um, people often laughed at me and I was going back to when I was a little boy, I had these big ideas and and um, it didn't sit well. I, even my school teachers thought, "You've got to be kidding! I can't. I can hardly. I can hardly spell or do arithmetic." And um, I want to do what you know, something that, that I like that I like to do. Absolutely, and you sure did because you created one of the most magical, elaborate, and visually stunning botanical parks. Not just in the region, Mm -hmm. not just in the province, not just in the country, but in the world, in the entire Mm -hmm. world. And you did that on a janitor's salary. On a janitor's salary, yes. With your own two hands and your own knowledge. Mm -hmm. How did that come to be in between you living in Cultus Lake in the lower mainland of British Columbia and then moving up north? What was the, the reason for moving up well, north to Prince George? Well, that's a question people ask me sometimes. My answer's always been the same. I just wanted to get away from big city life. Uh, Vancouver is, is a great city, and it's got beautiful mountains and that, but growing up there, in, in, my, in my way of putting it, even back in the 60s, 70s, before moving up here, in, in ways it was a rat race. And I wanted to get away with that being and having a close bond with nature. 
you'd have to travel uh, at least 70, 80 miles out of Vancouver to find a forest recreation site. But here in Prince George, uh, some of them are less than 20, 25 miles away with, with open highway in between till you get to the gravel roads. Good Sir Nature Park included. I mean, it's yes. what, 25 minutes north of Prince George? It's about, it's about a half hour. It's 20 miles or 32 clicks. It's located in Salmon Valley, um, Prince George, north of Prince George, on the uh, just off the, the John Hart Peace River Highway. So do you remember solidifying the decision to move up north? Was it just a, a moment where you said, I'm going to make this happen, and you just went with it? Or what kind of evolved in order for you to actually go through with the move up north? Um, well, I had traveled across the country, and um, I, 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 was, I had this idea back then, I'm not going to live in, in the Vancouver area for the rest of my life. I like nature, I love nature, and so on. So I made a list of some of the places that I've been to and um, that I would I'd want to live someday. And I, narrow, I, I narrowed it down to three places. Number three on the list was Kenora, Ontario, because of the unique uh, Lake of the Woods area and the, the rocky rolling hills and big and small lakes alike. And there's Lake Nipigon, and, and it was wild country. And my second choice was Whitehorse. After going up, bouncing up that Alaska highway in the early 70s, it was, uh, they weren't kidding when they said it was rough. And you could get by, uh, you could buy souvenirs. Uh, here's mud in your eye. Um, and the famous world, famous Alaska Highway before it was paved, and, um, and Whitehorse is beautiful, and and the surrounding area, and then there was Prince George. I had to go through Prince George to go to get to Whitehorse. Now uh, this was in 1969, 1970, when I first came to Prince George, still living in Burnaby outside of Vancouver, and uh, I fell in love with the um, the area here and. Um, the backwoods, and I found it was very similar to Kenora area. The backwoods lakes and uh, some of the tree species were even the same. <laughs> and I thought, well, I if I ever had the choice to, to go somewhere, I would choose Prince George. And that's and I, I I lived that dream also. It was three or four years later. I I I, um, I end up quitting a janitor's job. I worked at. SFU in Burnaby for four years on the graveyard shift, and I came up to Prince George. My first job here was with the school board as, um, uh, as a custodian, spare board, I believe they called it back then. Well, Prince George community residents, as well as all the visitors to our, our city and the region, are, are very thankful that you followed through with that decision. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How did you end up in Salmon Valley? Well, I was always, I've always had a magnetic pull, almost like a compass. Uh, to go north, and I remember it was it was actually 1967. My parents came up to Prince George, and that's when I actually saw it for the very first time on a Labor Day long weekend, 67. We had an extremely hot summer that year, um, and I talked my mom and dad, "Can you go just a little bit further north?" As I, I I looked at the map, and there was Summit Lake, so um, Dad says yes. I was sitting in the back seat, uh, looking at everything, nothing escaped my eye, uh, getting into the fall season, all the beautiful colors, mostly yellows, and um, and I, I further fell in love. I want to live in this area somewhere when, when, when the time is right, and um, sure enough, I settled in Salmon Valley, where I've been for about the last 33, 34 years now. And this all makes sense to me, because you mm -hmm. arrived in that region in autumn mm -hmm. and i think that a lot of people a lot of listeners and viewers will agree that there is no place that's more beautiful than northern british columbia mm -hmm. than during the autumn months with a million different tree colors throughout yeah. the region it is the epitome of gorgeousness it really is yes it is a sparse population compared to other parts of the country and uh, recreation sites, backwards roads. I just love to get lost, or not literally lost, but um, always looking for new plant species. I found some rare species in the, in this area too over the years. I've photographed, documented, and pressed them all. Whenever I'd find something, I wouldn't move till I did what I would do and then carry on to the next site. So once you settled in 
Summit Lake, Salmon Valley area. And there's a lot of history there with the the watershed divide of the mm. Arctic and Pacific yes. Oceans, right? Mm -hmm. And did you know right then and there, which would have been 30 plus years ago, that you wanted to create this world-class botanical park and music museum that would attract visitors from across the, the world? It has. Uh, um, I, I, I had that idea when I was a little boy, when I was about 14 years old. And I remember my dad was the first to know and um, I said, Dad, when I grow up someday, um, I want to buy some land. And I explained what I wanted to do, travel the country, uh, document uh, plant findings. And um, I'll never forget the look on his face. He didn't disbelieve me, but he put his hand on his hip like this and said, Sure, son. He never lived to see that happen, but my mom did. Well, if your dad was still here today, I, I'm confident he would be extraordinarily proud yes. of everything you've accomplished mm -hmm. and the human being you are, because we as a community sure are. Yeah. And, and um, another part of that was, I also told him, if I ever do what I want to do with the land, I'm going to name it after my grandfather's mountain, which is Mount Goodsir. I believe it's the fifth highest peak in Canada. I was named after my uh, late grandfather. He was stationed at Golden, Road Superintendent for the CPR. And uh, everybody that knew him and loved him, he was always respected. He was always known as the boss back in those days. This is in the 1890s into the turn of the second last century. And they named an unnamed peak after him, Mount Goodsir, and it's located in uh, Yoho National Park, not far from Golden. I, I, here's something that I, I want our listeners to, to realize. You have never been on the internet before, correct? No, I don't even own a computer. I've, I still do things the old-fashioned way, and I love my rotary dial phone. And you don't, <laughs> you don't have a cell phone? You've never had a smartphone? Never. No, I love my turntable and my cassette tapes, too. <laughs> you see, there's a reason. There's a direct correlation why you are the happiest person I know. And I feel like it's because you've never been exposed to social media or the internet yeah. or carry a smartphone on you at your hip at all times. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's it's really when I, I, I talk to you, it's it's so refreshing because I I'm thirty six. I was born in nineteen eighty four. Mm -hmm. And so like Andrew who's here with us, we got to live in a generation that experienced life before the internet as well as subsequent to it. Mm -hmm. And you're one of the few humans remaining out there, especially in Canada, that have never been on the internet. And you have no desire to, to do that, right? No, no I'm, I guess you might say I'm the last of the, <laughs> of a dying breed, or <clears throat> I'm happy with analog, I've, uh, especially electronics. Uh, uh, me and computers don't mix. They want, a kid wants to do one thing and I want to do the next. and. Uh, I have, uh, I've had experience with the, uh, with an amplifier. You got to go all through this computer riffraff, just to turn the volume up or adjust the bass treble balance. I have a, one of my amps at home is a 1970s Pioneer amp. It's a high performance, uh, 200 watt amp. In uh, um, half a second, there's the bass, there's the treble. No, no wrong buttons to push. And if I do push the wrong button, I just simply push it again. And it, and uh, it resets. <laughs> well, you're also blessed with this gift where you have a photographic memory. Where I have both a photographic memory and an audio playback memory. That is a gift I was born with. I've never heard of the term audio playback memory. So in terms of when you hear a certain segment of a song or even yeah. in, in its entirety, you can just right away remember those lyrics? Even Yes, and um, even um, people's voices. Um, birds, especially songbirds at sunrise, I love that sound. And anything to do with sound as well. That is exceptional. So let's just test your memory real quick. Mm -hmm. Name a song that came out in 1974. 1974, back when Turner Road Drive, You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet, it came out on Mercury Records on a 45, and it was on one of their Mercury albums as well. and. Um, Burton Cummings and Ronnie Bachman originally played for the Guess Who, an earlier band, and I believe both bands were originated in Winnipeg. 
Wow. I don't even think Google <laughs> could give me a quicker answer than that. Let's go with 1988. Uh, ni- 1988, um, Bobby McMurphy, um, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Uh, that's a very, very inspiring song. Kind of a goofy sound to it, but because of the lyric contact, it hit number one. It came out on Manhattan Records. Manhattan it Records. It was near the end of the vinyl era. Yeah. Well, let's go subsequent to the vinyl area and go 1991. 1991, that was past the vinyl era. Um, Kicks Country had emerged. Um, country music exploded in popularity in the early 90s, equally competing with pop music. And uh, line dancing was created. Um, Hillbilly Rock with Marty Stewart on Columbia tapes, cassette tapes. Um, Achy Breaky Hearts by Billy Ray Cyrus. Those were two of the biggest songs that launched uh, the Kicks Country area in, era in country music. Have you ever listened to any of Billy Ray Cyrus's daughter's music, Miley Cyrus? No, I haven't, no. She's a little wild, a little out there. Yeah. Maybe one day she'll do a cover of Achy Breaky Heart and we'll introduce okay. it to you. So what is, if you had to say some of your favorite songs of all time and maybe just a, a, a top three list, what kind of songs would be on there? Um, I've always loved the saxophone in music and the saxophone was the hottest instrument music um, in my early years. Um, just about any record that made it big, had a, at some point in the song, had a saxophone in it. At the beginning, near the, in, near the end, or during the instrumental solo, about two-thirds of the way through, including Elvis, many of his old records have saxophones in it. Um, Elvis, is, as many people know, was the king of rock and roll, but he also loved ballads too. And he did many ballads and, uh, and gospel music. Um, another artist like Johnny Cash, um, Johnny Cash, had country crossover records. Um, crossover records don't exist today, but Johnny Cash, I believe, had more crossover records than anyone else in his time. And a crossover record is a record at the time of its release, it did well on both the country chart and the pop chart at the same time, often reaching number one. And Johnny Cash's time. music is just so real and, and powerful and, and raw. You could just, you could tell as an artist and as a human being he's been yeah. through a lot and a lot of that comes out in his music and in his lyrics and you named your dog after johnny cash uh yes we adopted him and he came with that name it's just a coincidence but he's uh my park assistant now um when he he greets people when they come down the driveway i always make it a point to go out uh, and and greet people and my health hasn't been the best this last few years but i've still have a way of mind over matter and I go out and I greet people and Cash is almost always with me and I say this is my assistant Cash and if I'm not here to greet you he does it for me and if I can't do tours down the trails botanical tours he's a great trail dog he can't do the tour or he can't tell the plants but he can do the tours he knows all the trails absolutely he's joined us for a few of our tours and going back to the park and and for your love of music and and botany You've collected, and correct me if I'm wrong, over 35,000 records yes. over the last three or four decades? Over the last six decades. Six, six decades. Yeah, six decades. 35,000 yeah. plus records. Yes. And those 35,000 plus records, about uh, 70% of them are 45s. Um, to me, the 45s were the originals. and. Back in those years, you go into a studio, record two songs for A, side A, side B of a 45. If the record did well, you go back into the studio and record about 10 more songs for an album. And then the record companies would release the, the best and often the worst on the flip side of whatever was on that album. Extraordinary. And you have all these albums that it, you've accumulated over the years, all in a music museum located at the park? There's Yeah, there's there's two museums in the park. The first one is the Good Sir Botanical Museum. Um, it has uh, thousands of press samples of uh, all my findings. Some of them go way, way back in my early years. Um, uh, from all over Canada, every province and territory is represented in the Good Sir Botanical Museum. And I do tours through there. And the other museum, um, I opened about five years ago, 
the, the J.L. Good uh, record or vinyl, if you wish, museum. And uh, this museum is time traveling back into the golden years, the golden age of vinyl, back when, where I believe life was uh, a lot easier and the dollar went a lot further. And those are parts of my, my success too. And speaking about the dollars, this park, the creation of Good Sir Nature Park, was all from your own money, time, and yeah. resources. I was denied any acts, any uh, grant or sponsor, and in part because people thought my idea was crazy, um, and I, I had no, I had no support, no volunteer help. I've got volunteer help today because of my uh, health condition, but I created the park tol totally on my own. And I was always singing a song or something in the back of my mind pertaining to music at the time I was developing the park in its early years. And the park, uh, it's non-profit, it's a uh, park entry is by donation. And, and that's a critically imperative part of your operation. And, and maybe some people don't realize is that you are not a registered charity, uh, no. but you are essentially non-profit because I know that every single dollar every single donation that you receive you put it right back into the park in some way the, uh, the park maintenance the trails it's a huge undertaking uh, the park has uh, two miles of trail hundreds of literally hundreds of botanical displays it's got map ranges uh, uh, of Canada where the where the tree or plant is naturally is found in the wild Plus, uh, I have it, one of my own photos, a habitat picture taken on site, on location, and it's labeled as to where, when and where it was taken, as well as a, a few basic other things like the common name, the Latin name, and just a, a few things about its habitat, anything like that. And a person could uh, spend all day just in the park alone reading these, uh, these interpretive signs beside the actual living tree or, or plant. And there are few destinations in this world where you can go and get exercise by touring the park, mm -hmm. and you can visit the lake, and you can also educate yourself and your family. And that's why I love bringing my daughter to your park because of all the interpretive signs. You yes. can walk throughout these beautiful, beautiful areas, natural areas that also have your life's work because you literally spent more than three decades driving across Canada, mm -hmm. all of our provinces, all three territories, collecting plant and flower and and rocks and you name it, all kinds of species from across the nation and bringing them back and planting them at Good Sir Nature Park. Yes, yeah. Um, Good Sir focuses on um, education more than anything else. I, um, uh, on my programs when I'm, when I, when I do go down the trails, I, I just don't stop and point out this is a, a Douglas fir, and then go on to the next. Every plant I point out, I tell them something about it. Just like when I go through the second museum, every artist or group, I tell them something about the uh, how they got started or what their biggest hit was. So it's the same format in these two very different uh, topics. Well, I'm very curious to know how your mind works. If you were to walk by, say, a, a lodgepole pine, mm. can you immediately visualize in your mind where in the in the country that you collected that, what year, how old you were, of what might have been happening in your life when you collected it, the drive back, the scenery around where you found the origin of that species? Can you just visualize mm. all of that? Yes, I can. Just isolating lodgepole pine from any other native Canadian tree, um, it brings back a lot of memories. Going to Manning Park, it's uh, there's a really very uh, uh, coast variety of lodgepole pine called the West Coast Shore Pine, and I believe they're two different uh, species closely related. Um, some books have them as subspecies of each other. Uh, same with the Douglas and the interior blue Douglas fir, but the uh, lodgepole pine, uh, I, I noticed it on the Alaska Highway. Um, Lodgepole pine was everywhere, along with black spruce and white spruce, and the occasional tamarack. Um, um, uh, I can't remember what I wrote a poem about trees. I can't remember what I wrote about lodgepole pine, but it describes that part of the country. Nice. And oh, lodgepole pine with its needless dark green covers mile after mile of forest unseen, and I was. Re 
referring to the Alaska Highway. Well, that's beautiful. And I, I know that you presented me with something this morning. I actually have the, the piece of paper right here. And what you would love to do is create some customized Good Sir Nature Park ballpoint pens. Ballpoint pens, Maybe yes. explain the, the concept that you're envisualizing. Um, well, it covers two subjects. Um, one is about what the park has to offer. Um, one of them, let's see... Um, uh oh! What's the first one there? So, so the, what you were mentioning is that you wanted quotes on all these pens, and I have the first quote here: "Explore, explore all the Canadian forest regions, first of its kind in Canada." That is very, very true. Yes, that would be on one of the pens, um, except for I have a total of twelve messages on two subjects. Eight out of the uh, ten out of the twelve are my own actual wordings. Um, and the other subject is for everyday living. Um, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, any job that's worth doing is worth doing right. Um, and uh, walk that extra mile and you will have great success. That's something I've lived by. Whether it be a janitor job or going out and getting my hands dirty type job in the bush. And you've never been afraid to get your hands dirty. Never been afraid sure. to get my hands dirty, no. What's remarkable about your story is that you've never received provincial grants, federal funding, any kind of major assistance to help you with your no. dream. You did it with your own two hands, mm -hmm. as well as your own finances and resources. And it was up until about a year and a half ago in 2019 when the park was celebrating its 30th anniversary yeah. mm -hmm. where you reached out to John Brink yes and you asked him if perhaps you could buy some lumber I believe two feet in, in yeah land. he had all those mountains of lumber and I wanted to make some uh, some trail signs and I think I forget what else I mentioned but one of them was to, to update some of the signs because some of them they've been there upwards of 30 years and they start rotting and falling over. So it was just a matter of repairing some of them. And they, and we taught, that's how it all started. Yeah, and I remember John came into my office and he mentioned, because I hadn't met you before this. And mm -hmm. and so this would have been either late 2018 or early 2019. And, and he, he was awestruck. He just said, I met this gentleman, Jim Good, and he's the founder of Good Sir Nature Park. And we have to go out there and see this park. The way he was describing it sounds just like a... A fantastic oasis of botany and it was then that he made the decision saying like anything Jim wants we're gonna do it and we're gonna do it for mm -hmm. free and mm -hmm. that's where we really got to know you and we're able to see you celebrate a magnificent milestone in the 30th yes. anniversary of your park mm -hmm. well the uh, up to that point I'd never had a sponsor um, I go in I, I oh in my earlier years in Prince George um, I would go to different like the pulp mills and um, people associated with forestry, but not just forestry. I'd go to other places. I heard they 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 would do things for charities and that. And um, I I introduced myself. I often showed them something I did, but it never fizzed on them at all. I was rejected each and every time. But it's, uh, people that rejected me don't know the the hidden gem that they actually encouraged me to keep going and to put that much more into it, sooner or later I will succeed and I have. Well, you really are the personification of perseverance and I, I always, I, when I think about your story, I think about uh, another great friend of mine and that's Jim Tyrion. Mm -hmm. And Jim has raised over $800,000 for the Terry Fox yes. Foundation since 1991 and before that he walked across Canada mm -hmm. in memory of his hero Terry Fox yes. and despite yeah. having uh, a hearing disability and many people articulating to him that it wouldn't be possible like you he used these naysayers as motivation mm -hmm. to follow through with his goal yes and there's Jim Tyrion and yourself Jim Good yeah. both Prince George residents mm -hmm. both living on a janitorial salary mm -hmm. and both pursuing their dream relentlessly it's very inspiring yeah I know him quite well we used to work together at the hospital and I'm not sure I might I believe he's still there too mm -hmm. um, I retired five and a half years ago and now I'm full-time out at the park 
Yeah. Tell us about some of your journeys traveling across Canada in the territories and the provinces throughout the the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, and collecting all these tree and plant species. Uh, is there anything that comes to mind in terms of these adventures that just stand out? Oh, there's so many. I can very, I can very narrow it down to one. But I've trained myself, um, in a comic sense. I've got one eye on the road, and the other eye in the bush looking for a, 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 something rare or unusual. When I gradually go into um, a different forest zone. I see a brand new tree species. Um, I stop right away if it's safe to stop along the side of the road. This is main highways. And I document all my findings in that. And then I go on to the next. And um, I remember one time uh, coming back uh, from uh, Cross Canada in 1969. I stayed at, uh, just off of a main highway. I can't remember where now. It was southern Saskatchewan. And there was a lot of snow fell, about five or six inches of really wet uh, Vancouver-type snow. And um, I had so much weight in the back of my car, and I knew I, would, I, I could never get out of the snow. The roads weren't plowed, it snowed overnight. I was in this campsite all alone, and, um, um, and I, had, I, I didn't have very good tires, they were going bald, according to my dad when I got home. But um, I had a 61 Plymouth Belvedere, push-button automatic, and I had taken the back seat out, and I had kitchen shelves on one side, and um, I had a bed, it was two feet wide, six feet long, and it came my, the foot of the bed, and I still had about a foot in between that and the, uh, and, and, and the back uh, bumper of the car. It's a full-size car, very reliable. And um, I had so many plants and trees in the car. The back bumper was just a matter of inches, I forget, maybe six or eight inches from the, from the road. You could tell there was a lot of weight in that car. And the, re and the front end was almost like up in the air a bit because of the misbalance. And that, uh, all that weight got me out of there through that uh, five or six inches of very wet snow. And with bald tires, Winter tries, but they were bald or near bald, and I credit the weight. And I got pictures of when I arrived home. I was on the road for about three months. Um, this was summer into fall, 1969, and I remember uh, my dad. He couldn't believe what the car looked like, and he looked at my tires. He says, "You know, you you need some new tires." He pointed out that the canvas was starting to show. They were two ply tires. They don't make two plies anymore, but these were two ply tires. Yeah. So that's what uh, one thing that really stands out. Well, you made it back, yeah, I made and it that's back. what counts. And in one piece, too. <laughs> and when you're on the road, it must have been very liberating for you to put on some music, another passion of yours, and to, yeah. to listen some, to some tunes when you're cruising throughout different Canadian highways. Mm -hmm. And so when you're working in your janitorial role, would you get two weeks off per year? Two weeks off per year. Um, I, I got a little more time off when I was working at the hospital. Um, and I've dedicated all my holidays to what I love to do. Um, I've never gone and sat for two weeks on some southern shore or beach, as much as it would be nice, but not me. I'm uh, out in the bush doing what I love to do. Um, when I, um, I go an amazing long distance return in two weeks, um, sometimes 4,000 miles return in two, inside of two weeks to be back to, uh, uh, um, a job um, and then when I worked at the hospital I think I had three four I think uh, just short of five weeks towards the end of my uh, um, working career as you, a janitor and you would dedicate the entirety of that time off to traveling across country and mm -hmm. collecting all these tree and plant species yes and I dedicated even weekends and long weekends long weekends back oh in the uh, 70s, well into the 80s, I would go down to, down in the Okanagan and back in three days, um, in the, uh, the May long weekend or Easter, and it was just getting out of the snow too. I'd uh, go down, I'd see uh, 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 desert plants starting to starting to come out, the uh, prong-leafed Indian paintbrush, and um, and so on, which uh, and we're about a month behind the Okanagan 
and Vancouver with the arrival of spring here. And that's just one example. Well, there's not too many people on this planet that have seen more of the country of Canada than, than you, because mm -hmm. you every year would be traveling across Canada. Like how many people have actually driven from British Columbia to Newfoundland? Newfoundland, including Labrador and Prince Edward Island. Yeah, and back. <laughs> and back. And every year. Yeah. It, it's, it's truly incredible that you got to see that substantial amount of our, our country with your own eyes and our territories too. And, and do you, when you look back at all the time you spent on the road, is there any stretches of highways or areas that really stand out that you enjoyed? People ask me that question. I could, I got about a, a, a dozen different places I would call spectacular. Um, the Cabot Trail, the Jasper Banff Highway, or a couple of them, but what is my most uh, favorite part of, of the country? And I would have to say the Dempster Highway which uh, starts at Dawson City in the northern Yukon, near Dawson City, branches off the Klondike Highway. It's 500 miles long from, from where it begins to um, Anubik in the Northwest Territories, and it's Canada's only year-round Arctic Highway. And you pass through uh, um, the Arctic Desert and... Um, um, you say Ar Arctic there's Desert? An Arctic, yeah. There's, that sounds like an uh, oxymoron. Yeah. There's actually four deserts in Canada that I know of. Um, the Arctic Desert in the northern Yukon, I believe it's the Richardson Mountains. And the other three deserts, um, the um, Prairie Badlands and southern BC. And uh, there's an isolated desert in the Yukon called the Carcross Desert, which is recognized as the smallest desert in the world. And that's south of Whitehorse. Wow, south of Whitehorse. Yeah. So w when you're in the Yukon, did you also visit Watson Lake? Yes, Watson Lake. Because that's uh, close to the border of the Yukon and British Columbia. Yeah, um, well, Watson Lake, both the town and the city, uh, it's the first settlement uh, is recognized as a city you cross that you go through when you cross into the Yukon. Um, the Alaska Highway goes back and forth. It straddles the 60th parallel. And apparently you cross into the Yukon and back into BC, I believe eight or nine times before it actually goes to the Yukon. And that's when you see the welcome sign, welcome to Yukon. What are some other memories that you have of the territories of Canada? Um, I'm, I remember my daughter, she was uh, 11 years old, Maureen, and I said, do you want to go somewhere where the sun never sets? And she looked at me and says, Sure, Dad. Just like my dad told, said to me one time, sure, Dad. And I said, I explained about it. And she didn't believe me. But we went up to uh, uh, a new rig. And I remember we were camping in the, um, there's an igloo church up there. I believe it's a Catholic church. And they had a parking lot. We stayed in the parking lot overnight. And at 2.30 in the morning, we, uh, we went for a little walk. And you couldn't tell whether it was 2.30 in the morning or 2.30 in the afternoon. People were walking around in short sleeve shirts on the wooden sidewalks of Inuvik. And it was, uh, that was really fascinating. And of course, uh, seeing trees up there like the Alaska white birch, um, the Mackenzie Indian paintbrush, and uh, Arctic black spruce, those were all trees that I, uh, I checked out in the Inuvik area. Were you able to collect some of those trees and bring them back to yeah, the Prince George region? Yeah, I do have some of them growing in 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 the park. Yeah. And how have they performed in this northern climate? Um, I guess it's southern compared to where they yeah, originate. This is a, a um, almost tropical compared to the harsh winters of the far north. Um, they do most of them do very very well. Um, climate change has played a role in uh, Goodsir like everywhere else. Um, Rainforest trees don't do very well in a Prince George climate. But with warming winters, I found like uh, uh, the Sitka spruce, the western hemlock, western red cedar, uh, the giant Coast Douglas fir, um, they frost bite each, uh, less each year. But we've had, a, the last few years, we've had um, colder winters. And I believe it was last year, for the first time in a long time, it actually topped 40 below Fahrenheit. Um, and um, above the snow pack, they were frostbitten, but they didn't die. So these things I noticed right away. They're insulated, the, uh, the, the uh, needles are insulated in the snow. 
because it's not so much the temperature, it's the wind chill factor that actually uh, causes the frostbite of these trees. Well, your memory always amazes me of, of how <laughs> really crisp and specific it is. That is really a gift that you have, Jim. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about the future sustainability of, of Good Sir Nature Park. And there's an idea that I presented to you a while back where you recently had some serious health concerns. Yes. So was it a quadruple open heart by, bypass uh, surgery? Quadruple bypass at St. Paul's Hospital, Vancouver, yes. Yeah, then it was at that time where you started talking about longevity and sustainability of the park and 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 how instrumental that is to you in, mm -hmm. in terms of just making sure Good Sir Nature Park lives on. And it's important to not just you, but a lot of people in this community and, and region that want to see the preservation of Good Sir Nature Park. Mm -hmm. One idea that came to mind, and I was visiting San Francisco about a decade ago and Alcatraz has this amazing tour without guides. Mm. What they do is they have an audiobook tour and you just you put in the audiobook and nowadays you probably just, you know, download it on an app on your phone. Mm -hmm. But what it allowed you to do was do a self tour and it would be narrated by an individual and you just walk throughout the cells and they'd be telling you where Al Capone once was and mm. a certain maybe uh, certain history for each cell and Alcatraz as a whole, but I mm -hmm. thought how phenomenal would that be to have something narrated by you, Jim Good, mm -hmm. at Good Sir Nature Park that could live on forever? So somebody could arrive to the park and open up the, an app on their phone or maybe go to your website yeah. and this self-guided tour, narrated tour by your, with your voice comes mm -hmm. on and they can walk through the miles and miles and miles of your beautiful park with all the signage and the information and you could provide them that with that tour. Is that something you'd be interested in? Yes, yeah. Um, Goodster Nature Park is my gift to Canada. And uh, I know that uh, the trees I planted, some of them could live hundreds of years, if, the big if, if they're protected from both the natural and man-made elements. Uh, the ones uh, like Ponderosa Pine, I believe, at Goodster, they do very well. It's a tree from the Okanagan. It has the longest needles of any tree in Canada. And they can live up to 400 years. And these ones are doing incredibly well. And I've got another tree, the limber pine from southern Alberta, from the foothills. Uh, it could live uh, six, seven hundred years, and they've been known to live over a thousand years in the wild. And uh, and some of the coast species, if they don't get too much frostbite, they may they may live a long life too. Those are just a few examples. Yeah, well, that's just amazing to hear. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, I I know that City Council Marilyn Hall and his council colleagues recognized you. Uh, for all the work that you've done in 2019 and and I remember our friend Claire was there as well and I <clears throat> I want to give a shout out to Claire and her husband because I know that mm. they did a lot of great work they work did a lot as of, well right yeah. and they're yeah. just very caring people that they they love you as a person and mm. they love Good Sir Nature Park and and what it stands for and and what it provides our community citizens and visitors with is just an educational botanical experience and it it really doesn't feel like you're in salmon valley it feels like once you get to good sir nature park you're just you're taken away to this magical place and it's very <laughs> hard to describe how uplifted you feel after touring good sir nature park it's a reason why i love bringing my daughter there and mm -hmm. i love bringing my girlfriend there and i love bringing my family there because when we're there we just it's an escape from reality in a lot of ways you just feel so great exploring Canada's history in one designated mm -hmm. spot. Nothing in the world exists like Good Sir Nature Park. And that's because of you, Jim. Mm. What you've done is really not just a gift to this community, but a gift to Canada mm -hmm. and a gift to anyone who's visiting this region. And if, if there's any opportunity for this podcast to reach some people in Ottawa, uh, or to reach some people that can really help with the preservation of this mm -hmm. park. I mean, please reach out because it's so important to this country, not just this community, yeah. this country, the preservation of the wonderful work you created, Jim. Mm -hmm. um, I've been, well, this is, I took a long shot. I didn't succeed, but I tried. Um, I was hoping and praying the one person I wanted to come to the 30th was uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. And I, uh, one of his, uh, I've been in, con been in contact more than once with his office, and one person once told me he's been following Good Sir online. I don't know if it's true or not, but that's what I was told. And, and you received a letter from 
from I his did office. receive a congrats letter from his office for the 30th anniversary, but he said he, he couldn't make it because he still got so many other things. But um, I and I got that letter framed as well, and, and I'd had letters from um, Shirley Bond and Bob Zimmer, and uh, both great supporters. Yeah, Marilyn Hall yeah. from Prince George, and um, but with Trudeau, uh, the excuse of he has too many things on the go mm-hmm. that doesn't cut it because <laughs> it, honestly like your park is world class and nothing like it exists in the country no. so whoever it is whether it's Trudeau or his successor th- whoever the prime minister is they need to be here in yes. person to see it and maybe now is not the time with COVID travel and restrictions but in the future whether it's 2022 or 2023 we need this kind of national representation to come out and not just see your park but enjoy it yes. because once they're there they're going to be filled with all these emotions they've never felt before and that mm. moment is when they're going to realize that they need to step in and help in every any regard that they can with funding or or anything to help with the preservation of the yeah. park mm-hmm. well i've got a few projects ongoing um, if i ever had uh, the funding someday to replace all the uh, interpretive signs some of them are starting to wear out and they're falling over and they're just rotting away every year i have to go straighten them up after winter um, and, and another goal, I, my heart goes out to people that are, have disabilities like wheelchairs, walkers and that. Um, they come, they can't walk the trails, although I've had the odd wheelchair pushed down the, the short loop. It's a bumpy ride, but it is accessible. And it's my goal someday to have the, the trails either paved over or like, like the ones at Cottonwood Park in Prince George. Yeah, Cottonwood Park, and they also did a phenomenal job yeah. of accessibility at the Ancient Forest. And yes, yeah. we've we've actually been talking to Rick Hansen and his publicist Don, mm. bringing him on a guest on this podcast, and it's something that I'd like to talk to him about in terms of maybe grants out there for accessibility, wheelchair access at the park, because mm-hmm. I think that would be just a great addition to Good Sir Nature Park. Well, yeah, and it also benefit to young mothers with uh, small kids with strollers, strollers. and that. Um, um, and anybody with a disability, because my heart goes out to people, and they they come, they can't uh, walk the trails. And we've had uh, the last couple of years, we've had very wet summers, and people come out with running shoes, expecting to walk the trails. And because of the uh, uh, at the beginning and at the very end, the low low section is flooded with water in July and August, and. Uh, Another person we could talk to is Roll and Mix Concrete. I know they do a lot of phenomenal work in this community. They mm-hmm. really like to give back, John Pellucci. So, they, you know, that might be a, an opportunity to ask if there could be any assistance mm-hmm. from there. And maybe even if it's at a discounted uh, price where we can work with a local organization like that. And maybe there's some grant mm-hmm. funding opportunities there because I agree with you for the accessibility and just the overall enjoyment of the park for young mothers or, or individuals that... Uh, might be in a wheelchair or pushing a stroller it, right. it just it it makes the park that much more inclusive well um G- good sir uh, doesn't fall it doesn't seem to to my knowledge and what i've observed over the years doesn't fall into any category for grants or even sponsors except for john um, and i and i thank him dearly for his contribution um, because it's one of a kind I don't think, <laughs> I may be wrong, but I don't know if uh, the government is ready for a place like Goodsir because there's nothing available. And I've heard of other places, they get grants and that, and they get sponsorship. Um, and But I just keep plugging away, and I, I well, love it. You know more than anybody that just because it hasn't been done before doesn't mean it's not achievable. Yes. <laughs> so, Jim... How can somebody get in touch with you if they want to help? Because I know you're always looking for volunteers. Mm -hmm. You're always looking for funding. I know you're very, very humble, and you don't really Mm -hmm. like to to ask for donations. Throwing hints, even. Yeah, and but it's what you rely on for your livelihood, and it's what the park relies on. And so, how can people help? Well, um, I I don't own a computer, but I've I've got two websites, so I've been told. And I believe both websites, or at least one of them, has a, a mention of volunteer help. Um, people can phone uh, the park. My, it's my home phone number. Uh, 
250-971-2337. That's in Salmon Valley, Prince George, B.C. And um, or else just come out. I get people that come out as visitors. And I've got a sign at the entrance of the park saying volunteer help needed. And, um, and they sometimes ask me about that. And I've had, I, I've had some very, very loyal um, um, uh, um, people come out. And I'm, I'm so grateful for them coming out. They put aside their own uh, work and their own time to come out and uh, to help out, whether it's uh, trail maintenance, uh, hauling, or splitting firewood, where our wood is heated by wood. Um, I can't, uh, I don't have the strength anymore to go out into the bush. And I used to get all, scrounge all the firewood from the park, taking down dead or dying trees, local trees, bringing them back and uh, using them as firewood. So it clean, cleans, cleans the park and gives us free heat. But those days are in the past now. I have to rely on uh, buying firewood and then Hopefully to get some people to help uh, split it up and that, and I've I've had some very wonderful people out there that have come out. Well, it's great, and you know, like the old saying goes, or you know, I might even be completely making this up, but wonderful people want to help wonderful people. Yes, and I I really feel like you are the the quitta of a human being, and and that is the rarest mammal on the entire mm. planet, the most endangered. That I think there's less than ten of the Vaquita species still alive today. And it's just an individual who right from the start of their life knew exactly what their passion was and pursued it mm -hmm. vigorously. And the beneficiaries of your incredible work at Good Sir Nature Park are the visitors. It really yes. is. And I know that with your health problems, it must be very hard for you to not be able to provide the park tours that you've done for over three decades. It yeah. must be very challenging for you to see certain things at the park that might be deteriorating or it needs regular maintenance. It's mm -hmm. a big, big park. It must be very hard for you not to be able to do that yourself anymore. Yeah, yeah that is true. That's very, very true. And uh, um, the good, uh, I don't keep regular business hours or regular shop hours. I'm there most of the time to greet people. No one has ever been turned away from Good Sir, whether they come at 2.30 in the afternoon or on a one or two rare cases, 2.30 in the morning looking for a campsite. I have three campsites for overnight use. Um, they've been recently upgraded by YRB um, and um, it's by donation as well as to, uh, to come out for a day overnight camping is by donation. It includes firewood and if you have an RV it even includes an electric plug-in for your, for your computer. And this is what's so great is just the joy in your face when you talk about this yeah. is that it really does provide you with unlimited amounts of happiness when you see people enjoying the park mm -hmm. and whether it's camping or exploring your two museums yeah. or just touring the park like that's the greatest joy that you could receive um in the guest register i have never had a negative comment on the park it's always been commented always been uplifting and it inspires me and i do know one thing the happiest people on this earth, I truly believe with all my heart that are people that give more than they receive. Whether it's uh, uh, helping out or donating, whether it's donating to a, um, a, a recognized charity, um, or whether it's volunteer help, is a giving period. And and what I'm doing, I'd love to be able to give, but because of my status being a janitor and that. And, pumping everything I had into my lifelong dream um, I'm hoping someday and it's to, to maybe maybe give some of that back but for now good sir serves its purpose on education not only that bringing people together both near and far whether they're from a whether it's somebody from around the world or the neighbor down the road Every, everybody that comes to good sir is create is, is treated equally without exception even if they don't donate, they're still treated. Uh, they get that warm, old-fashioned. Uh, right now, it's the COVID handshake, but a normal handshake. I drum up a conversation. Hi, my name's Jim. I'm the park uh, host. I try not to say the park developer. I just try. I did it first, but I just try to limit it to park host. And um, um, and I start asking where they're from and. Uh, 
and I give them a park map and hopefully someday a, a covenant ballpoint pen from the park will go with that. And that's included in the in the donation as well. And we're going to make that happen, Jim. Mm. I, I'll promise you that. So with mm. those words of wisdom that you just articulated and provided us with, we're going to wrap up this podcast. Yeah. So thank you so much for being a guest on Crazy Damn Canadians. It's been an absolute honor to have you here. And I hope that people will listen to this episode and, and want to make contributions towards yourself and mm. Good Sir Nature Park. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been a real, real pleasure being here. All right. Thank you, Jim. Air high five. High five. Okay. <laughs> the COVID side. There we go. Nice. Thanks, Jim. Okay.